Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Today is one of those days where I have to ask, am I guilty of this? <laughs> it's like, yeah, dang it. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's listener-supported daily audio Bible, where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including how we're going to get to one of the most important verses in the whole of the Old Testament. And in our closing reflection, I'm going to share about a way that I still fail in a way that Abraham did. And maybe you can learn from my mistake. Kicking off with our New Testament segment, though, because that's where we start, it's interesting to note that the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel according to John is probably how I should say that, includes the word eternal 17 times. And every one of those is paired with the word life. Yesterday, we also heard the narrative of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And he demonstrated his power over death by raising Lazarus. Pop quiz, was Lazarus resurrected? No, presumably he died again of old age or something. In other words, it might be better to say Lazarus was resuscitated uh, versus resurrection because resurrection will include transformed bodies and eternal life. So, Lazarus has just walked out of the tomb, and then, John chapter 11, picking up in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, What are we going to do with this man who's doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest at that, that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. Now, he did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given order that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so they could arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, 
and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them in believing in Jesus. And my friends, that gets us up through chapter 12, uh, verse 11. So remember that back then, quote-unquote respectable women didn't unbraid their hair in public. So we just witnessed Mary's humble, all-out, do-this-at-any-cost display of affection. And at the opposite end of this was Judas, probably esteemed um, by the community, given that he was entrusted with being the money carrier. So here's one Mary who eschewed what people thought, giving up anything for the one she loved, and one who looked great on the outside but was full of malarkey on the inside. And trust, my friends, is the center of the bullseye. Are we going to trust Jesus? Hey, we won't be into today's Old Testament passage far when we hear that Abraham believed, and in this context, trusted. And it's the earliest place in the Bible that the word believe appears. Well, the bad news is that we're also going to hear about, in a sense, a spiritual crisis. Genesis 15. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me, since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This will not be your only heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then God said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away, and as the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, 
Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. You will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return there, here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Raphaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not yet born any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here, your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. And then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will settle near all his relatives So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy. For she said, In this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Be'er Lahai Roy. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord, pause, you catch that? We sometimes blow past that. We just went from 86 years to 99 years, 13 years. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, Here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. 
your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout all generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring, after you, throughout their generations, are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. You are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If a male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and I will produce nations. She will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. And then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 99-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for your future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. That's kind of an interesting line, isn't it? God withdrew from Abraham. Don't we sometimes sense that God is closer sometimes than others? I mean, he's obviously figurative language, right? He didn't, there's no distance. But you can be sitting next to somebody on the couch and feel like they're a million miles away, right? All right, a little bit to go and we'll finish up here. So Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or purchased every male among them, the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his household, whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Genesis 15 through 17. So again, it might not have been totally obvious and our closing reflection will come back to it. But I hope you heard, in a sense, Abram's and then Abraham's spiritual crisis and what it means for us 
Um, and if not, I'll give you an idea of what I think it means for me. Which makes it good news that true belief to us is credited to us as righteousness, which is what we heard in Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited, God credited it to him as a righteousness. And I don't know about you, but I'm reminded that because of that, I should praise like this. Psalm 148. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in a position, in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, all the sea monsters and ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind that executes his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all the judges of the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people, resulting in praise to all his faithful ones, to the Israelites, the people close to him. Hallelujah. Well, that was Psalm 148. I kind of got a little excited there. My friends, for our reflection segment, the question is, well, how did Roger fail like Abram failed? And what do we learn from this? Yesterday, we heard a host of promises. And today, we heard God reiterate one that that Abram's progeny would be as numerous as the stars, right? And then in Genesis 15, 6, quoted a bunch of times in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't get much more real than God making you a personal promise, right? Now, there's general calling that applies to all of us, and it's a very rare thing that God calls somebody like as specifically and personally as Moses or, Aaron, or, or Abram slash Abraham. But it's nonetheless a big deal for us too here. Abram trusted that promise. It was credited to him as righteousness. The text doesn't say Abram was righteous. It says it was credited to him. Yet despite the promise, right, having an encounter with God, which is about as direct and as real as it could get, Abram got impatient and took matters into his own hands with regard to having kids. It was, if you will, a spiritual crisis. He lost sight of his first love. And I, my friends, am so busted. And I'm just not just talking about the past when I have somehow gotten out ahead of God and not trusted. Doesn't mean I'm not saved and going to heaven. What it does mean is that breaking communion or fellowship 
can mean not experiencing the promised blessing. Are you with that? Getting out ahead of God, trusting myself instead of Him for some period of time means the problem isn't His, it's mine. And I just, I bring it up because I, maybe we, think a spiritual crisis would need to be some seriously angst-ridden deconstruction or something, not considering that I'm just as guilty of not fully living in light of God's promise. And I think, well, I think, I know we all do that. Sometimes it's for a very short period of time. I didn't trust him here in the next 13 minutes when I needed to do something. Or sometimes that might be more extended. But here is the good news, and it's for you, and it's for me. The good news is that the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you covers that sin too. By the way, side note, what's part of the meaning of sin? Unbelief. I want to be careful here theologically, but I believe that there is a version of not trusting God that can be counted as sin, and that's what I'm calling my own. The good news is that the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you and me covers that sin too. And the God of heaven and the earth and everything in between deserves to be praised like we just heard in Psalm 148. Remember your first love, my friends. Amen. Amen. Amen.